Everyone, welcome to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. Uh, I'm humbled to have what I consider the goat of survivalists. We all know the Bear Grylls of the world, but Les Stroud created a genre that Jeff has not been uh, replicated. He did it. Uh, I, I not know nothing against uh, Bear Grylls or other survivalists. He did it on his own. Or how and about how about those other actors, Mike? Those other other actors. Okay, he said it. He can say it. I won't, but uh, one man out into the field by himself, uh, filming himself, and Les has been wildly successful, not only from his TV shows, but his books, and a, uh, a recording artist, which, uh, you're good, man. That is, I, you're a man of many talents, and what I love uh, most of all is your approach to life with what you call the success uh, instinct. So that's, um, let, let's get into the success instinct. It's every day where we focus on human performance and really what are the, the, the breadcrumbs you can leave for the, the viewers and listeners uh, about what you've learned across your many journeys. And, and we'll go from there. Uh, yeah. Well, what's the question really? Where do you want me to start with that? Your paradigm on this success, success instinct. Where, where, uh, did that, uh, where, where, where did that philosophy, where was it born? And what does well, it mean? I mean, on the pragmatic side of it, it was really a matter of, look, how can I be a little more concise? If I do get asked to go and speak somewhere, and I do, I'll, I'll go and do a, a keynote, as we would call them. And in, in putting together the package, if you will, for promoting something like that, you know, really, you know, a lot of times I would do the photo company and I'd, I'd speak, and they just wanted to talk about my adventures. Um, and But I'm very passionate about how those adventures came to be and about how my life came to be. And what I really realized within me, and everybody's got their thing, and I don't really even want to have a thing. I just really want to look authentically at how I've been able to do what I've done for my own self. And it always comes down to the same thing, you know, whether or not I have a good idea. And I found that that throughout everything, this instinct that was always there inside of me, and it was like, it's like a, a, an amazing tool that I could pull out and I can use it to, first of all, have an idea which is a big thing. I mean, if I talk to a room of people, 50% of people don't even know how to have an idea. So you got to start even go back a bit further. It's like, how do you even, because I don't, someone like myself, I got ideas rolling around all the time. And there are other people I know like that. But a lot of us are sitting there going, I don't, I don't have an idea. <laughs> I, I got nothing, as we would say. And so I like to go back and first start there, you know, and then also how to manifest this idea. Once you've got it, how to manifest it and how to succeed with it. And that's really where I come from. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not going to do the Tony Robbins thing or the Jim Ferriss thing. I am uh, just, uh, as I like to say, I'm just another schmuck from Canada, you know, nothing more, uh, nothing less. But I have learned over my life how to manifest the ideas that I have, whatever however crazy they might be. And so when, with the success instinct, that's a, it's a way of doing keynotes for me to share that. And I'm, you know, I guess maybe it happens when you get older, but more and more, even with my YouTube stuff and things that I put out, my new series, Wild Harvest, I start to look more and more at like, well, how, how can I express some of my philosophy while I'm doing this? I always did it with Survivor Man anyway, but how can I go even deeper, go even further? And that, that is my, that, that's, what I termed the success instinct. It's harnessing that instinct that every single one of us has. 
And let, let me step back. Every everyone is a a product of coaches and mentors in, in in their lives. With the survival aspect, and I do want to jump into the survivor man in this very interesting project you got with VR, which which fascinates me. Almost like a, a, a training simulation. I think selfishly for like special operations guys, uh, which survival is not a huge part uh, of our training pipeline. But who was most pivotal in your maturation with survivalism, or were you self-taught? Uh, no, I was not self-taught. But you got to you got to step back in time. So when did I start? Is the question right? Nineteen eighty-five. So in 1985, there was, you know, survival stuff was relegated. We were like, we were basically a step above LARPers. You know, we were as relegated to a, a bunch of dudes. Get, you know, there's one guy in, in Toronto or two guys maybe that teach this stuff. I mean, I legitimately went to a course at college, you know, a night, nighttime college course in wilderness survival. I mean, I saw the little thing in the paper, you know, learn shelters and edible wild plants. And I thought, Wow. And at, you know, my age at the time, in my young 20s, little disillusioned with the music industry, I thought, well, that sounds like me. You know, I grew up, my, I, my early influences were Jacques Cousteau and Tarzan movies. And if you think about it, what is Survivor Man, if not a hybrid of Jacques Cousteau and Tarzan? And so the guys that I learned from in those early days would have been certainly the books, Bradford Angiers, How to Stay Alive in the Woods, Larry Dean Olson, Wilderness Survival Skills. Um, and then through that, you start saying, oh, you hear about a... There's what? Rabbit Stick Rendezvous. What's that? You know, um, or the, uh, the Connors or the Connors who did winter rendezvous. And you start one of these rendezvous where, like I said, it's almost like LARPers. Because some of the people are, they're totally dressed in buckskin. It's, it's hilarious. And we're all, what are we doing there? And, and bear in mind, there's no survivor, man. There's no dual survival. There's no naked, nothing. The world didn't even, we were a bunch of freaks on the weekend building shelters in the mud. Nothing more, nothing less. You know, and through that, though, I, I would get to meet David Westcott, David Halliday, John Jerry McPherson, um, Doug Getgood, and Dave Arama in Toronto. These people became my North Stars as far as survival, uh, certainly, and all of them have remained good friends to this day. Um, and so that's where, you know, there was already this clustered community of like these really like, wow, ooh, these guys know what they're doing, totally unknown. And then I was sort of, I think, in the, the next wave, which was a precursor to what much of what there is now, certainly a lot hinged off of, as you said, a lot hinged off of Survivor Man. Survivor Man changed everything. But before that, it was just these guys, and I would go, and I would be just like a little wet puppy, just like, teach me the fireball, teach me the hand drill, you know, and that's it, you know. So that's, that's where I was at. I was literally just a little survival nerd building shelters on the weekends. So you, you created a genre of survival shows that really has not been replicated. And, and sort of understanding Hollywood, I've had limited interactions with Hollywood. I, I'm assuming that when this show got picked up, Hollywood, like, well, okay, we want to throw a production crew at you. We want to have this. We want to have this. And, or did they accept your sort of self-survival approach, self-filled approach, or did, they, or, or did they try to throw a production crew on So it's a yes and a no. I'll tell you why. When I first started, okay, here, this this should, this should sum it all up. When I first started, quote, unquote, all right, this is verbatim. I'm in the uh, head office with the head of Discovery Channel. And uh, this is in Canada at this point. 
and I and I and I did this. I'd done it as like a pilot for this little science show called The Daily Planet. And I did it summer and then I did it winter and it was really successful. And I was like, guys, this could be it, this could be a series. And 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 people were calling me Survivor Survivor Man if I'd walk down the discovery hallway, like just by chance. Hey, Survivor Man, what's going on? I wouldn't even know who they were, right? I thought, well, that's a catchy name. So I'm trying to pitch this series called Survivor Man, where I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna survive for seven days alone. Now, here comes the quote, head of Discovery Channel Canada. Less, very condescendingly, of course, no one will ever want to watch people survive on television. The head of Discovery Channel said to me, and I got that, over, I got laughed at, I got that over and over again. And then, but that actually, that very same day, in fact, within that half an hour, I left Jill Hoffman's office and I walked down the hallway and I walked in to say hello to my friend, Anna Stambolic at the Outdoor Life Network. And I said, yeah, Anna, I don't know. Would you be interested in this? I, th I just think it could be a, look how well it did as a little pilot. On, you know, I think it could be a big series. And Anna went, you're kidding. Jill passed on this. I loved this thing you did. Okay, yes. Boom. Survivor Man was now born. Okay. That's the first part of the answer to your question where I say no. They, they never, they just said, do what you do. And when it signed to Discovery Channel, uh, the United States, Steve Burns, they didn't even look at my cuts before they aired them. That's how comfortable they got. They just said, you know what you're doing. And I just delivered. Hey, I got no notes back, nothing on that first season. No, no. They just, it was amazing. Anybody who's ever produced television is hearing this right now, thinking I'm full of it because, you know, usually you get copious notes and you have to change this and change that. All right. There's the no answer. The yes answer. This comes into it. Season one, Survivor Man's out there. It's a it's a hit. Um, the troops are loving it. As I said earlier, it's going all. It's really doing amazing. And I start to get bombarded by um, uh, what the heck was her name? Jane something. Jane Root, who was in charge of Discovery Channel, and her and, and Jeff Hazel. They would say, and I don't mind mentioning their names because these are true stories. I'm telling you. And they would they sat down with me for many times over the course of almost a year, um, whining and dining me, trying to get me to cheat the show. Les, you don't need to go and do this. Just take a crew with you. Stay in a hotel. Why are you even why like this is ridiculous, Les? We could besides, and here's the catch. We need 26 episodes. And I'm like, I do this for real. I did six last year and it just about killed me. I can't. So over and over again. And then finally at the end, on the last dinner, I'll never forget this. She looked at me and Jane goes, and, and she's talking about feeding and having the crew build the shelters. And then we'll just still play it off as a story. Now, remember, this is before the internet. And she said to me, but the internet was coming. And she said to me, less. No one will know. And I just looked at her. And I said, well, I'll know. And I'm going to kiss my children goodnight being a fraud pretending to do something that I'm really, that, that I can really, I can really do. And I've, and I've already done a whole season of me really doing it. And, you are. And, I, and I just said, no, I'll know. I'm not cheating the show. So they called their girls. That's how that story went down. Exactly like that. And from there, it was a watershed of stage scripted setup programming and shows all the way until we got to alone. Alone is different. So there, there, I have a lot of respect for the people on alone. It's still not quite the stories that are going on out there. They're still manipulating stories back in the edit suite. That's the dark side of Alone, but the good side of Alone is it's the only one, bar none, man versus wild, bull survival, naked, that isn't set up, that isn't staged. So, so 
No one has been able to do it. And even they have paramedics going in. They won't admit to it as much. But they have paramedics checking on them and so on. And so you're right. That's a long-winded answer. But that I, I don't mind ever telling that story because it's true and it's unfortunate. But what was I going to do? I remember at the time, you want to sue them? Sue them. They air my show still. They're not kicking me off air. They just ripped me off with Bear Grylls. So what do you want me to do? I'm just, you know what? I'm just keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Godspeed, Godspeed the rest of them. They can laugh their way to the bank. I don't care. I'm just going to keep being Survivor Man and doing what I'm doing. There's your answer. You know, one of the authenticity of the show is you're basically making is through the roof. And I think that's why you drew such a cult-like uh, and huge following. For you, and I, I mean, you put yourself into these scenarios where you went 48, 72, 96 hours without water. I mean, you put yourself in, it, even, you know, having served in nature, I, I guess is the way to say it. Like, it's unforgiving. Mm-hmm. Was it as much about challenging yourself as producing content that people would just, just you know, drum into and, and watch? Well, first, very much so. Uh, it, it, you know, can I do this? How can I pull this off? I've never survived in a jungle before. I'm going up to the Arctic. So, yeah, um, it was, and it was always became, it, it was less so as the years went on. It became, you know, because I got better at it, you know, um, I became good at survival even more and more. One of the things I love about Survivor, by the way, even though I was already a survival instructor, sure, I'll take you to Northern Ontario and I'll show you everything you need to know. But that doesn't mean I know what to do when I get into the middle of the Amazon jungle. So I love my own process. So, yes, in the beginning, it was as much of a challenge for myself um, as uh, as it was to tell the story. But I can say that throughout all of it, there were always two trajectories, and it was very difficult to balance them. The guy out there without water and food who's got to survive, the filmmaker who wants to film something that is going to be compelling and beautiful and tells a great story. And they didn't, they worked together, but when the going got tough, the survival guy had to win and the filming got crappy. When the going was good, like in the Cook Islands and it's beautiful and I'm getting, you know, oysters and stuff, the filming got amazing because the survival was easy. So it kind of went like that throughout the, mm-hmm. throughout the years. Let me, let me ask, what, you know, we all watched the show. What was the safety mechanism you had in place? Was it, was it an original phone? Uh, did you, I mean, uh, coordinating with local forces, letting them know you're out there and potentially being a, a life and death scenario? How did you approach that safety mechanism? I always wondered that. None of that. Uh, in fact, in the beginning, it was very guerrilla. Uh, I was, I mean, season one, I was completely alone. Uh, you know, I was, I was always completely alone filming, doing my thing, right? But as the money got better later on, okay, what's next? Well, can I just have a guy who comes down with me? He's not going to be out with me for the week, but he's going to hang back, stay at the lodge, stay at the hotel, wherever he wants to stay. He's going to eat steak and drink beer all night. I don't care. But he's going to go out. He's going to get beauty shots of the forest. So the transitions of time lapses and birds flying. That way, I don't have to try to get all of that too. Where in the first season, I had to get everything. I had to get what we would call in the business B-roll. I had to get all the B-roll, all the stuff that, you know, threads a scene together where, oh, there's a shot of a bird in a tree. Well, I had to shoot that bird, you know, with camera. So, so at first, very gorilla, nothing. I would, I would, my memory would lay it out this way. About 
60% of the time, maybe 50, 60% of the time, zero contact, very difficult to get out, no radio, no nothing. If, if, I, if, I, if Fertilon spikes me in Costa Rica, it's going mm-hmm. to be body retrieval. There's no rescue going to happen here. About another uh, 28% of the time, I would have 25% time, I'd have a radio, wouldn't work. Because they think, well, you should have a radio for ultimate safety list. All right, we'll try it. You know, check, check, check. Then less the base, less the base. Left the base, left the base, nothing, right? Can't get out, can't you? And then I'd say maybe about literally maybe maybe 10% of the time I had a radio that worked, and I would say maybe 10% of the time I could have just walked out. But I always state that in the show too. Like I said, I, I yes. can walk out of here, but that's not why I'm here, you know? Um, and sometimes it was frustrating. The Cook Islands, I could look across and I could see dwellings and people like I could see or civilization. But it was, you know, a mile across the ocean. And yeah, well, the, when the tide goes out, it's only about six or seven feet deep. Yeah, but still, a mile at six or seven feet deep, you know, no thanks. So there were times like that, too, where I could see civilization or in the, the Georgian uh, swamps, I could hear the truck shifting gears on the highway, but I couldn't get to them. So that that's a very detailed answer to, to how much contact I had. So for all intent and purposes... If anything really happened, I was done. In, in the military, we, ref- we would refer to that as a no-go criteria. If, 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 if you had no safety mechanism, which you did not, yeah. we, we just wouldn't, wouldn't authorize it. Um, and that's what I, I, it makes me so fascinated. Before we get into your VR uh, projects. Um, Actually, Mike, can I, can I just do a, put an addendum on that, what you just yeah. asked? Remember what you're about to ask me. I just want to add this. That's why my show, what some people say, oh, your show's kind of boring. No, I'm doing everything right or the way you should do it. That's why it goes at that pace because you cannot be jumping around and going off of waterfalls when you're trying to actually survive. Because I knew that one snapped ankle, one snake bite, and I could be in a real bad place. So that is why I wanted you to see the real thing. And the real thing, man, slow down, take your time. You can't build a shelter tonight. Don't even try, you know. Very, very deliberate decisions in situations like those, knowing the uh, yeah, yeah. any any bad decision can have secondary or tertiary effects. Right. What, right. So before we get into the VR, I, I've got to ask you: What has nature taught you? What are, What are the the core lessons you've taken away from the, the experience of Fiber Man in your entire life with with, with nature? Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to not use the word t- taught. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to suggest more that what it has done for me has convinced me how about that of the ability to share in a very nurturing energy to heal from a very powerful energy to connect to an incredible energy the energy of the earth the energy of the universe the energy of the natural world that's what I've learned is that that connection is it it always was everything to me, but you know, I've had my ups and my downs, and and that is it. The, the 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 other things are more pragmatic lessons as we go along, but I think more than anything, what I've learned from nature is 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 the sheer fact that or my belief, however you want to look at it, that it, it it's not malevolent, it's not. It's not benevolent, it's benign, but by the, by par- but paradoxically, it's there for you. It, it's a connection, and it's sharing with you everything it has if you just 
open your eyes to it, open your heart to it and pay attention, breathe it, smell it, taste it, feel it, see it, touch it. All of that is connectivity. And that's, I think, the main thing for me is that's why so often I just want people to get back outside. Survivor Man was mostly a facilitator. I was just saying, get out in nature, everybody. Oh, and here's some really cool skills in case you do. Wild Harvest, the show on PBS, same thing. Get out in nature. Oh, you want to do some local foraging? Here's how you do it. That's what it's always been about. It's, as the saying goes, nature's as close to godliness as you'll ever get. It's, it's, it's a shame that less people stuck in the urban environments um, don't get out. Don't disconnect from, from mainstream society. And talk to you guys like Dwayne Field from the UK, you who grew up in, in what we call the hood uh, in the United States, how, how nature's been... Uh, just transformational for for him, but less um, this VR project. Uh, one wildly educational, though people could be sitting in a seventy degree room. Um, why did you take this project on? Why are you so passionate? And if you could explain the project to the, the viewers and listeners where they can find it. Mm-hmm. So, Survivor Man VR, uh, the first the first four four I into it, and yes, I, I hope and trust that there will be many versions of this coming out now. This is our first one. Uh, it was an opportunity to work within the realm of VR. So you talk in the headset and all of that with PlayStation, Oculus Quest, and so on. And you can imagine that throughout the years, the past 25 years, I've been approached lots of times for video games and this and that. And there's always like either no budget, it's going to be crappy, or there's no way we can get $30 million. So that's not going to happen. And I just, I didn't want to, in everything I do, I don't want to go on the cheap. You know, that's why I loved working with Hella Knives and LT Wright Knives because they make incredibly high quality, great knives. When and the, and why my you know uh, relationship with Camillus ended up dissolving because they just wanted to do cheap stuff from overseas and just get lots of stuff selling. I've always wanted to to default down to the highest quality, and so with you know gaming, if you will, um, I just kept passing and passing. And then an old partner of mine, Gabe Brody, and his company, Cream, we were originally together with Survivor Management. Um, he came to me and said, you know, we're doing this, we're doing a lot of work in VR now. And we're really, we're developing our own patented, pat- patented um, ways of, of working it. And, you know, just think Survivor Man would be the perfect one thing to launch. And I said, well, I agree. Let's start talking. And, you know, three years later, there's a lot of, t- you know, a lot of development and talking and um, attention to detail here we are. Now, the thing is, and no offense, I mean, I was a gamer once upon a time. With my son, we were Call of Duty fanatics, my son and I, you know. Um, but I'm not so much a gamer now, but I support it. And so I really look at this as a simulation, just like a helicopter pilot. For years, they had helicopter simulations. I look at this as a way, of, a more, and I remember lots of talks with, with Andrew, the designer, and, and I'm being the, pro- the producer and everything. It's like I was constantly holding their feet to the fire. And saying to me, okay, I'll say gaming because that's the marketing. I get all that. But by the same token, to me, guys, this is this is simulation. We're trying to create the, the you know, without getting wet and cold and starving and hungry and all of that, we're going to simulate it as much as possible. So that's where we're at. That That is what we're attempting to, uh, to present to everybody, kind of a in-your-living-room, you know, survival simulation game. And where can people specifically find it and pick it up? Um, well, Oculus Quest, PlayStation VR. Oh man, and, and my team's gonna get so mad at me. There's a third one we just bought. You know what? I could probably find it while I'm looking here. Um, yes, I can. I'm gonna find it for you. 
Uh, go to my Instagram real quick. But anyway, Oculus Quest was the first one out. We we launched it on February 15th on, um, here we are, February 15th on PlayStation VR and Steam. Uh, so that's that's where you find it. And, and yeah, and I'm, I'm really excited. And, and I'd love to get it, you know, I don't know how much time you have, but, you know, getting into the details of the game, it was a lot of fun. What I can tell you is I, as I said before, I held their feet to the fire. They were not going to get away with anything that I didn't deem yes, real, worthy, that's yes. survival. Yeah. Amazing. Um, do, you, do you find it, do you, do you feel like this could also educate or arm somebody for a real world scenario as, as best as possible? With Absolutely, I do. Now, there's no, there's no um, replacement for going on and learning from a, a true pro. Absolutely. Even when I do Wild Harvest and I talk about forging, you can learn a lot from this show. You can go online and read your books, but you need to go out with a plant expert. So same thing here. However, these preliminary ways of learning by watching a Survivor Man episode or, you know, reading my, uh, my book or something like that, they're, they're great. The preliminary ways of learning. But you really want to get out there. Your preference with me if you want to learn survival. But when it comes to the simulation here, that's what this is. It's a wonderful preliminary way to go. I, I've already had so many con uh, um, comments from people saying they're learning stuff. They had no idea that it would be, you had to do this or you had to do that. And we paid a lot of attention to detail. Huge kudos to the team at Cream. Uh, for example, how do you simulate being cold and succumbing to hypothermia? How are you going to do that? you got to watch and you're looking at it and it's telling you, you've gone this long without a fire. The temperatures are this much on the mountain. You haven't even tried to get a fire. You ain't going to last much longer. You're running out of time. Or how about this? Uh, I, I'm, I added this one in. Um, oh, you want to get up to the helicopter to check it out for you know items? Okay, well, you're going to be going through about four feet of snow to get up there. And it's getting hard, isn't it? Yeah, slow down. Go back, make yourself a pair of snowshoes, then go up to that. Like it, we really got into the weeds, you know, again, me holding them, their feet to the fire, you know, and I've got lots of examples here, but I'll pass it back in. So, one last question, uh, and then we'll tell people where to find you. Uh, and we'll also put in, in this where people can find the, uh, the VR simulation. What was, this is personally for me, it's almost like comparing apples and oranges, but to you, what was the toughest environment, tundra, jungle, desert that you ever put yourself into? Okay, so the answer to that question is not about geography. I don't care what kind of geography you put me in. If it's 70 degrees Fahrenheit and sunny, I'm good. The answer will always be the same. Temperature. Tell me what the temperature is going to be. Because if it's cold, it's going to be hard. You drop it below freezing and it's going to be hard. Uh, to me, it has always been about the cold. Now, people, oh, what about the extreme heat? There are some escape measures with extreme heat, sitting under the shade of a tree during the day, traveling at night. But when it's cold, it's cold. It's relentless. You cannot stop. Um, as they say in the North, you can't stand still, man. Got to keep moving. Got to keep moving. So to me, the toughest place to survive will always be wherever it's cold. And that, that's why so few of the other shows rarely, if ever, do a winter version because they just, you know, so hard to pull off. And I, when I did mine, I hated them. I hated doing the winter ones. Oh, man, because it was rough. The roughest time I ever had was going down from the six feet of snow on the, Nor the Norway mountain down into the fjord and the freezing rain and wet snow. <laughs> and uh, that was the, the, the roughest time I ever had while filming Survivor Man. 
always about the cold. But I couldn't agree more. I, I saw a bunch of recon marines shut down when we were outside of Anchorage, Alaska in December in negative 30 degree weather and the performance just dropped. It just dropped. So I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, that's what I thought you were going to say. Uh, guys, you can find Les Stroud at lesstroud.ca. Of course, you can find Survivor Man or Wild Harvest anywhere. If you start Survivor Man, I guarantee you this, you will binge. You will binge. And it's a worthy educational binge uh, with authenticity. Les, I can't thank you enough for joining us and all the, uh, the, the viewers and listeners of Men's Journal and excited to see how this uh, simulation hits the market. Thank you so very much. And yeah, my YouTube channel is the place to go. It's got everything. And I'm sure there'll be lots of Survivor Man VR stuff up there. It, this is an exciting project for me. And I'm, and I'm honored that Men's Journal, has, uh, that you've come to, to chat with me about it. I'm really honored. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you for your time. All right, y'all. We'll see you again later.